following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right. Everybody happy? Today, there will be division in families. There will be people making calls because some like that quarterback from New England and some like that kid coming on from Jacksonville and some like those backups in Philadelphia and in Minnesota, two backups getting a chance to go to the Super Bowl. But that's going to happen this afternoon. That ain't happening right now. What's happening right now is you're in the house of God. And everybody get on the same page. You know, most, most, of the, most of the people that come in, most of them are probably thinking about that, that love, that enjoy ball. But many of them are not saying it. But the young men are saying it. Pastor, who you got today? I said, I got Jesus. <laughs> they look at me like, no, no, no. I mean, yeah, okay. I got the Lord today. I could care less. I really could. When the Dallas Cowboys aren't playing, I could care less. I could care less. It doesn't matter. Would you stand, you're awesome people. Hey, today's National Day of Hugs. It's a National Day of Hugs. So I want you to do something. I want you to hug yourself real big like this and say, this is from Pastor. <laughs> and if you're standing by your wife, your husband, your buddy, your friend, come on, reach over and hug them and say, thank the world of you. Glad to be in church with you. It's also Swirl Appreciation Day and say, I appreciate you. I really do. I wish we hugged each other more around here. This is not a hugging church enough. All right. Everybody good? All right. It's an honor to be the pastor of this congregation. And you know, you know, I tell you just about every week, y'all are, y'all are my favorites because you're the last thing between me and lunch. And uh, no, that's not the reason. The reason is because I went to the window of the adoption agency and I said, Lord, I want to adopt a 12 o'clock child. And the Lord said, okay. I said, people say we can't have a 12 o'clock service. We can't get people to come at 12 o'clock. And the Lord said, I'll let it, I'll let it work. I'll let it happen. And look at here today. On a rainy day, look at here. Look here. Hey, with our attendance next door, we'll push 600 today in this session. Push 600. Oh, Gideon didn't even have that many when he got through weeding them all out. He just had three. What can we do with 600 people today? Let's praise the Lord a little bit before I preach the gospel. Amen. All right. All right. We started, we started a little series. I didn't really call it a series because I didn't want to get hooked into that series phraseology. But we started something two weeks ago about an everyday God. He is a God that's there every day. It's a penny a day. It's a denarius a day. It's every day God will be in your, in your, on your team and in your court. Every day. Say every day. He shows up every day. Then last week we talked about he will visit the iniquity of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. So he is a God that takes care of you from the past to the future. He's a God that's always going to be there for you. Amen. He's going to check on your character, your attitude, your behavior. Because he doesn't want a besetting sin to throw you. He's going to keep your character right and keep your focus right on him. And now today, today, I want to talk to you about a God that is a God of the valley. And today we're going to speak on this subject, victory in the valley. 
Victory in the valley. Some people say, well, I don't even want to preach about that. I don't want to hear about a valley. Well, we're going to talk real to you today. Victory in the valley. Turn to somebody and say, I believe that God can give me victory in the valley. Amen. Look at the screen. First Kings chapter 20 said, Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, because the Syrians have said the Lord is God of the hills, but he's not God of the valleys. Therefore, this is God talking, I will deliver all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Don't ever say that God can't do anything. God can do anything. I'm speaking today, Victory in the Valley. I love you. You may be seated. You're a beautiful, beautiful people, and I admire you. Ninth century B.C. was dark for the nation of Israel. The northern kingdom of Syria was very powerful, while Israel was very weak. There was a low ebb spiritually and morally and financially and militarily in Israel. There was a king in Syria named Ben-Hadad. He was a wicked, opportunistic man, perfect type of the devil. You know the devil prowls about like a roaring lion, exploiting weaknesses so he can devour children of God. Ben-Hadad had that same mindset. He saw the weaknesses of Israel, and he sent a message to the king of Israel, and he said, Your silver and your gold are mine, and your wives and your children are mine. So what are you talking about? What are these things? Gold, silver, that's finance, and then family. Finance, family, that is your seed. That's our seed. Ben-Hadad wanted their seed. See, hell comes to devour your seed, your finance, your family. So Ben-Hadad says to weak-willed Ahab, finance and family of yours is mine. And weak Ahab just acquiesced and said, it's as you say. I will forfeit these things to you. I will hand my seed over to you. Now here's a need to know department. Here's something you need to know. Ben-Hadad and the devil are never satisfied. Never. Proverbs says that death and destruction are never satisfied. The devil will never steal from you so much that he will say, you know what, that's enough. I'm going to leave them alone. He will never make you so miserable that finally he has a little bit of pity. He says, you know, maybe I ought to lighten up on them. No, our enemy's not constructed that way. And when Ben-Hadad saw how easily that Ahab gave in and acquiesced, It created a greater lust in him. A killer instinct rose up and he said, no, I'm going to increase my demand, not decrease it. So he sends a second message to the king. This is what I'm going to do. He said, I will send my soldiers throughout your kingdom and they will enter your houses. And whatever is pleasant to their eyes, they will reach forth their hand and they will take it from your families. See, Satan wants to get a platoon of demons together. Give them your address. And charge them to come into your life and take everything that's pleasant and desirable in your eyes away. What he's really looking for is trophy material. Something on the inside of you, though, needs to stop and say, I don't think so. Not today, not tomorrow, and not the next day. No, that's completely unacceptable. That's not going to happen in my life. And with Ben-Hadad's second message, the elders of Israel finally found their courage and they said, we may be weak, we may be outnumbered, we may be lacking military, but we will not submit to that. 
We had rather die before we're ravished by Ben Haydad. No, we're going to meet you on the battlefield, mister, and we're going to fight for our rights. And they did. They fought on the mountain tops of Israel. And though it seemed hopeless and the odds were against them, here's a principle I want you to never forget. When God's people rise up and face the fight for their inheritance, God shows up and fights on their side. He said, if you will, I will. If you'll go to war, I'll be there with you. They won an improbable victory. And Ben-Hadad, shocked, went back to Syria to reevaluate, perhaps lick his wounds, stayed there for half a year. But six months later, he came back. Everybody said, he came back. Say, he came back. Arnold Schwarzenegger is not the only one that came back. Ben-Hadad came back. You can believe for a lot, but you can't believe for the devil not to be the devil. What else can he be? The devil can't get born again. He can't get saved. He can't renew his mind. He can't change his spots. He may slink away for a while, but he's sure, be sure that he will be back to fight you again. And six months later, he came back, but he had a brand new logic this time. And here was his reasoning. He said, we fought them on the mountains. And it must be that the God of Israel is a God of mountains. But he's not the Lord of the valley. If we fight them in the valley, we can win there. I've got a little phrase here I call demon noology. K-N-O-W-O-L-O-G-Y. I don't even know if it's a word or not. 101. To Christians today, the enemy truly believes that your God is nothing more than a mountaintop God. That when you're on top of everything emotionally and spiritually, then it's very easy for God to give you victory and for you to be strong. But just wait until you're on a low ebb of life and when you're down in a dark valley and you can't feel or see anything good happening in your life. Everything is dark and dreary. He'll slip into that valley of your life and there he will try his best to devour you. Write this down. Our God is both king of the hill and lord of the valley. Write that down. Our God is both king of the hill. When this message was presented that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob may be a God of the hills, but he was not a God of the valley, God took offense to that. You know, it's possible for God to get offended, don't you? Ask Saul of Tarsus in Acts chapter 9 when he had those letters of threatening against the Christians. And God said, you know what, Saul, I think I'm going to get offended at you because you're trying to pick on my kids. And he knocked him off that beast of burden, let a light shine in his eyes. He went blind for three days and a man had to lay hands on him to get his sight back because you can't offend God. You know how? When you start picking on his young'uns. Amen. Because the Syrians said that I'm the God of the hills, but I'm not God of the valleys. I'm going to show you Israelites a mighty deliverance. And God was with them in the valley and Israel slayed a hundred thousand Syrian soldiers. Say praise the Lord to that. There was a time that I read in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that David was in a valley, a valley called Rephaim. Rephaim was a valley that meant giants. The Philistines dwelt there, and that name means giants in your Bible. And the, it's a valley where problems seem so big like a giant, and you feel so small like a grasshopper. But David found in the valley of giants a breakthrough. 
he realized that God was going to help him break through. And so he renamed the Valley of Rephaim. He called it the Valley of Baal Perism, which means the master of breakthroughs. Because God has a master's degree in breakthroughs. So it does not matter, folks, what valley you're in today. When you have God on your side, you're not in the valley of giants. You're in a valley of breakthroughs in your life. Why don't you rejoice in the fact that wherever you are, God is with you. Amen. Clap your hands real good for that. So, Ben-Hadad found out that he was a God of the valley. David found out that he was a God of the valley. And Ezekiel had a valley in his life. Ezekiel was the third of the major prophets. First was Isaiah, and then there was Jeremiah. Jeremiah wrote the Lamentations, and then there was Ezekiel. And in 37 and 1 of his book, the Bible said, The hand of the Lord came upon me and brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, and it was full of bones. Everybody say bones. bones. Then he caused me to pass by them all around, and behold, there were very many in the open valley, and indeed, say they were very dry. In other words, folks had been there a while. Ain't going to have no church there. Ain't going to be no church there. The man Ezekiel, we know a lot about him. He was born in the year 622 B.C. in Jerusalem. His father was a priest. You know what his name was? His name was Buzzy. <laughs> I love it, B-U-Z-I. Who are you going to go here today? Well, I'm going to hear old priest Buzzy speak today. Thank God for Rex. I'll take Rex over Buzzy any day. That's a funny name for a preacher or a priest. But Ezekiel was raised up in the priesthood. He served in some capacity in the priestly ministry. He was in that lineage. 25 years he was younger than Jeremiah. He grew up under Jeremiah's prophetic ministry. Ezekiel was a godly man. He sought the Lord. He served God. But at age 25, he was among the second group of people to be deported by King Nebuchadnezzar out of Jerusalem, out of Judea, and they were carried away to Babylon to be exiled and live as exiles. And at age 30, as a priesthood came upon him, Ezekiel, the Jewish exile in Babylon, had a life-changing experience. While he was by the river Chebar in the land of Babylon, he had a vision of the glory of God. And he, called into a, he was called into a prophetic ministry. In his first chapter, everybody say first chapter. His first chapter, his life and ministry were changed and he became a priest who became a prophet. Let me stop and say right here, it's 2018. It's a brand new year. It's time for some people... No matter where you are in your walk with God, to get your eyes off of this and lift your vision and get your eyes on the Lord. Amen? It's time to look up. It's time to see God in your life. It's time to see what God can do. I think you ought to clap your hands for that right now. It's time to see what God wants in your life and not what you think is going to be in your life. So then at 36, he's still in Babylon. Now he's been there for 11 years. And he's among the Jewish people that have such a hope. Such a great hope. Change is coming. The government policies are going to change and we're going to be allowed to go back home. The land of our forefathers, the temple, the courts of the Lord, Mount Zion, home. Someday we're going home soon. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. 11 years into their exile, 586 B.C., they heard some devastating news, not good news. The city of Jerusalem had been completely laid to waste. The temple had been totally destroyed. All the holy articles had been carried away. The people of Judea had been forcibly removed. Nothing of the land of Israel remained. It was gone. It was wiped out. The nation was no more. That's tough to think about when you're 36 years old. And you're a priest of the Lord. 
and you're a prophet that has seen visions of God. Your nation is totally wiped out. It's gone. Temple is destroyed. Walls are burned down. The artifacts are all taken. It's gone. Despair sets in. Depression comes. Despondency. Yet, hear this now, in the year of that report, the same year God gave Ezekiel a vision. Hear me, in the worst case scenario of his life, in captivity, Jerusalem destroyed, God said, come with me. I'm going to show you something that's going to bless you like you've never been blessed in your life. In the vision, the Spirit of the Lord picked him up and carried him away and took him into a dark, deep valley and set him down in that valley. And Ezekiel looks around where the Lord has placed him and all he sees, folks, is a boneyard. That's all he sees. Human skeletal remains. They're not even entire skeletons. They're all scattered. There's a leg bone over here, a human skull over here. There's a rib cage over here. Nothing's connected. And Ezekiel is seeing the death of his dream in the bones in the valley. Jerusalem and Judea, they are no more. Let me declare something here. Put it on the screen. The valley of dry bones is the valley of dead dreams and the valley of failed visions. Can I preach to you a little bit right now? Can I talk? Some of you can calibrate with me today. You've had dreams. You've had hopes. You've had visions. You've had aspirations. You believed it was from God. You knew it was a good thing. It lived as a dream in your heart. It was the thing that kept you going through life. It gave you purpose. It gave you meaning. It gave you existence. And then something happened that made it seem like it was absolutely impossible for the dream to live and the vision to succeed. You arrived in what we call the valley of dry bones and dead dreams and failed visions. Ezekiel was there and walking in the valley of bleakness and hopelessness. God asked Ezekiel a question. God always has a question for you. Verse 3, he said, Son of man, can these bones live? Wow. Let me tell you something. When God asks questions of humanity, he's not seeking information that he doesn't have. Number two, he's not asking you to be his counselor. And number three, When God asks a question of a human being, he's seeking to reveal something to that person that they don't see in themselves. Hallelujah. Ezekiel, you dreamed of a covenant nation. You dreamed of the seed of Abraham, the people of God with his law in their heart that would change the Gentiles. They would fulfill the purpose of God. But your temple is gone. Your city is destroyed. Your land is gone. The people are scattered to the four winds. Can these bones live? That's all I want to know. And God waits for Ezekiel's reply. And Ezekiel has this defining moment. How will he answer? Yes, they can live. No, I don't think they can, God. Faith says they can. Unbelief says they can't. Possibility said they can. Impossibility said they can't. What will he say? And Ezekiel finds a phrase to wiggle out of it. He says, oh, Lord God, you know. Remember that answer. Please remember that answer. When God asks you a hard question, but use the King James Version because it sounds more spiritual. Oh, Lord, thou knowest. Thou knowest. Thou knowest. Might not have been the best answer, but it was a witty way to get out of a jam. But God speaks again in verse 4. He said again, he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord 
your God. O bones, hear the word of the Lord. You talking about dead church. Zeke was in dead church. I preached in some dead churches. But I've never been put in a valley of dry bones where nothing was connected. Everything was disconnected. And I don't think that I'm in that kind of church right now either. There's a life in this church. There's a spirit in this church. Here's a life principle. Here's a life principle. Every God-given dream will spend some time in the valley of dry bones. It's part of the way it happens. It's a journey. I wish I could bound here to heaven on the mountaintops. I wish I could just go like a ram on the hillside and just start leaping like a lamb. Or go from spiritual ecstasy to spiritual high to the greatest day of my life and tomorrow even better. And land in heaven when I'm done. I wish I could. But somehow the Lord though vetoes that and says no Rex, no, no. You'll have plenty of mountaintop experiences in your life. But in between you're going to go through some valleys. I don't want to hurt you. I'm going to help you. But there are things that I can only build in you no other way than taking you through the valley. I know there's a devil in the valley. He's going to seek to destroy you. But if you'll follow me, hallelujah, he'll not be able to harm you. He'll only help you even though it's never his intent. Because I'm going to be with you in the valley. Even the valley of the shadow of death. I'm about to preach. If you're ready to hear some word, I'm about to preach to you. All of us will have valley of dry bone visits, dead dreams, failed visions. Hear me today. Don't let Satan be the umpire of your life. Don't let him say when you're out. Don't let him tell you, go sit on the bench of life. You don't count. Don't listen to him. Put it on the screen. It's not over when the enemy says it's over. It's over when you say it's over. Because it's never over with our God. I'm going to say it again. It's never over when the devil says it's over. It's only over when I say it's over. And it's never over with God. So God is for me. Satan's against me. I cast the deciding vote. I'm going to hang in here. Because if God be for me, who can be against me? I'm going to live for God. I'm going to believe that God can give me victory in the valley. And here's what he said. I'm sorry to raise my voice at you. I wasn't really screaming at you. (laughs) Prophesy to these bones. Say something. Old dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. You must prophesy. You know, I think we have a bit of a mystical, over-spiritual view of this thing called prophecy. What it means to prophesy. To prophesy simply means to cause the word of the Lord to be heard. That's all it is. It's not like, ooh. Ha. No, it's not that. It's just very simple. I received one of the greatest healings in my life one time when a man just walked up to me and put his hand on my chest right here and he said, Son, you will be healed of all the negative in your life. And it never has come back to me. Just that quick, just that quick. All the negative. All the naysayers, and you will be healed. And you know what? I'm healed. I'm standing here today healed by the name of the Lord. Because prophecy is not saying, I got got a word. No. To prophesy means to cause the word of the Lord to be heard. You might write that down. To prophesy simply means to preach. Preach, son of man. Preach. Preach. The word of the Lord has to be heard. You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 that when you speak in tongues, you edify yourself. 
But when you prophesy, you edify others. That's why Paul said, I'd rather speak a few words, a, a, a few words in my own tongue than 10,000 in another tongue. Because I'm not here to edify myself, I'm here to edify the people of God. And folks, every Sunday morning and Wednesday, this pastoral team steps in this pulpit and we're not here to do anything else. We're not here to show you how spiritual we are. We're here to give you a word fitly spoken. We're here to tell you that God can do anything in your life. That God's able to do exceeding abundantly above that you're able to ask or think. And He is God and there's nobody like Him and He's alone august and that He can do anything because every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of light in whom is no variable or shadow of turning. Somebody say preach pastor preach. Speak to me. Edify the kingdom of God. Edify us. Look again at verse 4. Again he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, don't, don't think about the bones. Don't worry about the bones. Don't pray about the bones. Just say to the bones, oh bones, hear the word. Make the word of God audible. In any situation or circumstance, that's what it means to prophesy. In the valley of dry bones, God will give you a word. In the place of dead dreams in the place of failed vision God will give you a word and he said thus saith the Lord God of these bones surely I will cause breath to enter into you and you shall live and I'll put sinew on you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord when you're in the valley of dry bones folks dreams dreams are dead and Visions are failing. God will give you a word, but that's not enough. You must speak that word. Here's one of the greatest scriptures I've found, ever found, and I'm going to give it to you. Don't ever forget it. Psalm 62 and 11 says, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this. Everybody say, God's spoken once, twice I've heard it. When God speaks something into your spirit, like I hope he's doing today, a word of prophecy, a word of encouragement, a word of faith, You've heard it once in your spirit, man. But you need to hear it again as you audibly speak that word. God. God. So what you've heard, you don't need to internalize. You need to speak it. If God says, I'm going to heal your family, you need to prophesy and say, God's going to heal my family. If God said, I'm going to bless your future, you need to not internalize it. You need to say it because he said, God spoke once, but I heard it twice. You need to not let the word of the Lord die in your heart. You need to speak it because there's something powerful about the spoken word. That's how we got here. God created the whole thing by his word. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice to that. God is continually looking for a son of man, a son of Adam, a daughter of Eve that will just speak his word on this earth. In Amos chapter 3, the Bible said, Surely the Lord God does nothing except that he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. God's not going to do anything in your life until he speaks a prophetic word into your heart. And then he waits for you to dare say that word and speak that word out loud. Thus saith the Lord and then speak it. I love this story. Oh, Abram was a, has a funny name. Oh, Abram that came out of Ur of Chaldees. He has a funny name. Abram means exalted father. Abram, the exalted father, but he can't have kids. His wife is barren. But understand that God said, I'm going to change your name. But you've got to hear me. Understand that God only spoke to Abram to call him Abraham. He didn't go tell anybody else. If Abram was going to be called Abraham, he had to tell it himself. 
Just imagine a little scenario. He goes out one morning to pick up the newspaper. Whatever. I know it sounds a little stretched there. And there's his neighbor taking, getting his paper too. And the neighbor says, good morning, Abram. And he says, no, don't call me that anymore. I'm not the exalted father anymore. I've changed my name. And the neighbor says, oh, well, I understand that. You know, exalted father and all. It's a little embarrassing. You don't have any kids and Sarah's barren. I understand the name change. What are you going to call yourself? From now on, I'm going to be called Abraham, the father of a multitude. The neighbor thought he was going to gear down. He's going to gear up. He was what, you know what he was doing? He was prophesying. It's time for some of you people and time for this pastor to start saying more than what we could ever imagine. God said, I'm able to do exceeding abundantly above that that you can even ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. It's time to open your mouth and declare that this will be a year like no year I've ever had in my life, that even though I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of mine enemy. Thou knowest my head with all my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Somebody help me preach, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Woo! You see, you must understand that prophecy is not merely predictive. It's causal. Prophecy is causal. When God said, let there be light, he wasn't predicting light. He was causing light. And when Jesus stood in the boat in the middle of a storm and said, peace be still, he wasn't predicting that there went, the wind would cease and the storm would stop. He was causing it to stop. And some of you people don't understand how powerful the spoken word of God is through you. <laughs> I'm not trying to get you emotional. I'm trying to get you excited because you can speak yourself into new environments, into new situations. You can take your way out of that situation and put yourself in a new situation because God don't want you to dwell there. He wants you to dwell with him. He wants you to dwell in promise. He wants you to dwell in victory. He wants you to dwell in triumph because that's his will for your life. And I don't care where you are right now. Prophesy. Say it. Preach to yourself. He said, so I prophesied. He gave me a prophetic word, and I just didn't sit around and think about it, muse about it. I just prophesied. I didn't hide it in my heart. I, I didn't just focus. I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise. When was the noise? See, we wanted another way. We say, Lord, listen, I'm in this valley of dry bones, and, and, and there's not a bone connected. But if you, God, if you could kind of just put just maybe a head bone to a neck bone for me, and I hear a noise. Maybe if you could just take two fingers and let them say, snap, and say, come on, son, prophesy to me. We got two fingers together. Come on, prophesy. But nothing happened. It ain't going to happen that way. God's not going to let the bones come together until you start talking. Oh, I'm preaching right now. See, God, if you'll do that, that'll be a sign to me. That's not going to happen. It's not going to, it's, nothing's going to happen. It's going to be quiet until you talk. So he said, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a noise and there was a shaking and there was a coming together and a rattling of the bones. And then God started putting them together. And I looked, sinew and flesh came on them. And the skin covered them over. And there was no breath in them. And then he said, prophesy, son, to the breath. Prophesy to the wind. Here's what I want to tell you. There comes a time in your life when you have to stop talking to your thing, to your situation. You have to start talking to the Holy Ghost. 
You have to start speaking to the wind of God because the Holy Ghost is wanting to help you in this situation. You've got to take your eyes off this situation that's kept you in the valley of dry bones and lift up your voice and say, I prophesy to the wind. I declare that you're going to do something in my life this year that has never happened in all my existence. Clap your hands and rejoice in that. That's the word of the Lord for you. So he said, I prophesied as he commanded. See, God has a great way of working in conjunction with all of us, and I'm almost through. The Bible said the heavens are of the Lord, but the earth he's given to the sons of men. He does nothing, but he reveals himself to his servants, the prophets, and then he stands back and says, I wonder if they will prophesy. You know, you wonder why it took so long to go from the Garden of Eden to the baby's birth in Bethlehem. You know why? Because God spoke to those prophets and those prophets internalized that many times and didn't speak it right when God gave it to them. And it took a longer period of time than he thought it was going to take. And there was, there was a long space there because God wanted those men to speak immediately. But how, how can you say, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bring forth a son you shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. How you do that? How you do that back in Isaiah? How do you do that back there? You have to understand that when God speaks, it may not make sense in this present generation. But God wants to give your family blessing. He wants to give your finance blessing. He wants to give your future blessing. And God told me to preach this to you today. That you need to not internalize what he has spoken to you, but you need to declare it. You need to declare it. Hmm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I remember when I was just a kid preacher that one day I stood. I was at a revival and there was a man there used mightily of God. And I felt about this big. And I said, God, I can never be that. And God said, come here. Come here, boy. Come here. I want to tell you something. Son, I want you to say this. I will. I said, I will be a preacher of the gospel. Be a preacher of the gospel until the day I die. Until the day I die. And I will be blessed. I will be blessed. And I will be, I will be, I will, I will be, I will be touched. I will be touched. I can't remember all that was said. But he made me talk to him and speak what he told me. And I promise you, I came out of that meeting. Went and took a little old church in Dallas and God blessed it. Took another church into Ritter and God blessed it. Walked in here and God's blessed this place. You know why? Because I declared one day. I declared one day. I declared one day. I'm not going to internalize this. I'm going to speak it. Can somebody give me a witness and give the Holy Ghost a witness? Can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine how Adam, God said, I want you to tend to the Garden of Eden. I want you to tend to it. Can you imagine how, how Adam did that? Did he go over and crank up his rototiller and by the sweat of his brow? No. He didn't work by the sweat of his brow until after the sin situation. You know how he cared for the garden? The same way that God took care of this earth. He spoke it. He said, hey, weed, get up. Get out. Hey, cultivate that. Move on that. <laughs> you think I'm outside the lines? No, no, no. One day you can ask him. He'll be over there. You can ask him one day. And tell him that your preacher was so crazy he stepped out on that limb one day. He didn't need a rototiller. He had the word of God in his life. And when you speak what God has given you, you will understand that God can do anything, anything that he says you can do. 
Verse 11, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They indeed say, they, everybody say they say. Our bones are dry, our hope is lost, and we're cut off. Please note that, they, they say that. I know, I don't know, but I, you've got to, you got them in your life. There's some, there's some they's in your life. There's some people that just, they're going to be naysayers. They're going to be people that say that you can't have your family together. God can't bless you financially. He can't bless your future. They're going to be people that are going to declare that against you. But you hear me. You look back at them and said, if God's for me. If God's for me. You know, they show up right on cue. They'll come and say, you know, it's too bad. Condolences, a little sympathy here. Because it's not going to happen like you say. Our bones are dry. Our hope is lost. And you know, the devil doesn't, doesn't have to look very far to find somebody that will come to you and say, well-meaning a well-meaning person, but ignorant of the things of God to tell you your hope is lost. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Ezekiel's dream will see in the house of Israel restored. And then he said, I will open your graves, and cause you to come from your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. I will put my spirit in you. You shall live and I'll place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord and I have spoken it and performed it. Everybody say it came to pass. Seventy years after that vision, Ezra and Nehemiah went back and, re and, and a restored Israel was starting the process. The temple was built. The wall was restored. Israel came back home. Listen, if God can speak to Ezekiel in a vision of dry bones and tell him to prophesy that it's going to happen, believe me, he can talk to you in 2018 and say... I'm going to bless you with your family. I'm going to bless you with your finance. I refuse to let Satan have my seed. He's not going to take my seed. God's going to honor us with our giving and our, our participation in the kingdom of God. Here's what I want to preach to you, and I, I want to close. Here's what I want to preach to you. 73 years ago, 73 years ago, the Jews once again were hopeless people under Adolf Hitler. But 70 years ago, at the end of the Second World War, 70 years ago, Three years after the war ended in 45, the Jews started coming back to Israel and they became a nation again. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that God can do Amen. anything. Amen. Amen. He can do anything. He can do anything. But see, there's a divine, there's a divine process. Randy, if you'll help me. There's a divine process that has to, has to happen. Here's the divine process. It's called the death the burial, and the resurrection. You know why there's a process called that? Because Jesus went through that. And when there's a death and a burial and a resurrection, when that thing is resurrected in your life, and when that dream comes to pass, you'll know that it wasn't your doing that did it. It was a God thing that raised it up. You see, what is impossible with us is possible with God. And God knows how to raise up dead things in your life. He knows how to raise up dead things. Abraham, yeah, father of the multitude, had a son when he was 100. And he became the father of the multitude. Joseph was a young man that went in a pit, went to prison, and 14 years later went to the palace. God knows how to bring you through situations. And God's going to bring you folks through situations. I close this message today with this final thought. 
a man named Jairus walks up to Jesus one day. And he said, Jesus, I want you to come. My daughter, 12 years old, very sick. Would you come and heal her? And as he was standing there, somebody walked up and said, Jairus, there's no sense to bother the Lord. Don't bother him any longer because your daughter's dead. Now watch this. You got to get this. Immediately, when somebody said, your daughter's dead, Jesus kicks in another gear. And he said, Jairus, the only time in the Bible he ever said this phrase, he said, believe only. Not only believe. He put believe in front of the only. He said, believe only. I'm going to go with you. I want to go to your house. Your daughter's going to be all right. And when Jesus gets to the house, he says to the mourners, she's sleeping. She's not dead. And the mourners say, who is this guy? He don't even know dead from alive. Oh, honey, if you only knew who he was. If you only knew who he was. See, what you think is dead is really just asleep in the sight of God. And he runs out the mourners and he runs out the death nail and he says, Talitha Kumai, <laughs> daughter, arise. Get up, get up. And he raised her up, put her back to the family. Here's what I want to tell you. It may be a 12-year dilemma. It may be something that's been in your life for a long time. But God has told me to come to you today and tell you that God's going to raise up dead things in your life. He's going to raise up dead dreams. He's going to raise up failed visions. He's going to raise it up. Come on. He's going to raise it up. He's going to raise it up. He's going to raise it up. Now, I'm giving you a word fitly spoken, but you've got to, you've got to take it. Come on. You've got to take that word. Come on. Take that word. Receive that word in Jesus' name. And then go out and speak it. I will be what God wants me to be in 2018. Would you stand to your feet? You're, the, you're a wonderful people, a mighty group of believers, and I love you. Now, we're going to pray here at the end of this service. We're going to pray. I know that I, I preached a little emotional today. I get beside myself when I think how, how that he gives man dominion. It is so neat to know that God trusts me on this earth. He trusts you on this earth. He believes that you're going to say the right thing and do the right thing. But listen to me. I want you to raise your hands with me. We're going to pray about three things today. We're going to pray about family. We're going to pray about finances. We're going to pray about future. Now, here's what we're going to do. Dear Lord, say with me. Dear Lord, I love you. Thank you for blessing my family. And I declare that you will be the God of my family. And then right now, I want you in your own tongue to start declaring what you want God to do in your family. Come on, start praying your own prayer right now. Pray your own prayer. That's my invitation to you. Pray your own prayer, dear Lord. Come on, let it happen. Let it happen in your own life. Let it happen in your own family. Come on, speak it. You got to speak it out. You got to speak it out. You got to speak it out. You got to declare it. It's, it's you talking what he's given you today. You're talking back to him. The Lord spoke once, but I heard it twice because now I'm hearing myself declare what God's doing. Everybody say, everybody say finances. I declare that my finances will be blessed and I'll be able to bless the church, bless the kingdom of God. Now start praying over your finances right now. Declare some things. Declare some things over your finances right now. Declare it. Declare it. 
Come on, go ahead and declare it. Say it. Speak it. Speak it. Speak it in the name of the Lord. Come on, speak it out. Don't be afraid to talk it. Don't be afraid to declare it. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed to say, God is going to help me so much this year. I'm going to be able to bless and bless and bless and bless and bless. And now say future, God. My future. This is what I want in my future. Amen. I need a wife. need a husband. need a relationship. I need to graduate. I need to do something in my future. Come on. Pray your future right now. Pray your future. Speak your future. Come on. Speak it out in the name of the Lord. I've given you a word today. You've got to talk it back. You've got to talk it back. You've got to speak it out in Jesus' name. Come on. Come on. Come on. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. In the name of the Lord. I love you, church. I love you, church. I want God to bless you mightily. But I can't speak over you. You've got to speak over yourself. You've got to talk to yourself. You've got to say, this is my day. This is my hour. God's going to bless me mightily. He's going to bless me mightily. He's going to bless me mightily. Come on, clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big.